0: You're listening to a Rock Candy podcast.
1: Hi, I'm Peter Santoscano I host Bubble and Squeak here on the Rock Candy Network. I tell personal revealing stories. She whispered. Did you just masturbate? Because I felt a terrible presence of evil enter the I make prank phone calls to the past. Heimbach General Star Elijah Heimbach speaking how may I into the future. <clears throat> because my boyfriend and I are just not having enough sex. What is a problem with the sex? You just have to listen to it. It's too hard to describe. Check out Bubble and Squeak wherever you listen to podcasts. is Sacred Tension, the podcast about the discipline of asking questions. My name is Stephen Bradford Long, and we are here on the Rock Candy Podcast Network. For more shows like this one, go to rockcandyrecordings.com. In this episode, I speak with Evan Anderson, director of Grey Faction. Grey Faction is an educational and advocacy organization whose mission is to protect mental health patients and their families from dangerous pseudoscience and discredited therapies, particularly in the area of so-called repressed memories. We discuss the resurrection of satanic panic in modern culture and how mental health professionals are carrying on the harmful practices that helped spark the original satanic panic in the 80s. And by the way, we do discuss mental illness and sexual abuse in this episode. If you find these topics difficult right now, I ask that you take good care of yourself and you might want to skip this one. But before we get to the episode, I have just a few pieces of housekeeping. First, as always, I have to thank my patrons. They really are getting me through this difficult financial time and they are ensuring the long life of this podcast. So for this episode, I have to thank Melanie, Mobius, Audrey, Catherine, Megan, Gutter Sniper, and Victoria. Thank you so much. You are my personal lords and saviors. Also, I have to thank my amazing Discord community. So the vast majority of conversation about my work, my podcast and my blog take place on my discord server. And sometimes it isn't enough to just listen to a podcast. Sometimes, sometimes you need community. Sometimes you need to be around like minded people. So if you would like to join my discord server and engage in the conversation, there is a link in the show notes, I would love to have you on board. There are other ways to support this show. One of the best ways is to just subscribe wherever you listen that tells our digital overlords that the show is worth recommending to others but one of the best ways is to leave a five-star review on apple podcasts so i'm going to read a five-star review right now gazella left this review amazing far-reaching podcast thank you so much the time you put into your podcast. You navigate so many topics and have wonderful guests. I joined TST just prior to the pandemic, so I came across it. I've been remodeling my parents' house by myself since August, and your conversations have been so enjoyable, especially being by myself so much. Five stars Well, that is an incredibly sweet review. I am so delighted that I can give you company while you remodel your parents' house. Also, this show is sponsored by the Satanic Temple.tv. The Satanic Temple.tv is a streaming platform for Satanists and those who ally themselves with Satanists. If you find yourself interested in new religious movements, ritual, live streams, lectures, satanic panic stuff, all kinds of interesting content is going on over at the satanic temple.tv. And with my promo code sacred tension, all caps, no space, you get your first month free. Finally, I have to welcome the newest member of the sacred tension team. Dante, aka llama boy is my new intern he is a student in audio engineering and i will be training him in how to produce podcasts so this episode is his very first that he edited for me and so if you like how this episode sounds that is all dante and i'm super proud of him and i'm looking forward to doing more episodes with him all right well with all of that out of the way i give you my conversation with Evan Anderson of Gray Faction. Evan Anderson, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So, you were the director of Gray Faction. And, you know, I interviewed the previous director of Gray Faction along with Shalice Blythe. So, Sarah Ponta Rivera and, and Shalise Blythe, I think like three years ago. But that was back when I was still figuring out how to podcast. And um, so, I was still figuring out sound quality and all of that stuff. And I wanted to bring you on to have a conversation again about the work of Grey Faction, the ongoing work of Grey Faction, pseudoscience, satanic panic, satanic ritual abuse, etc. But before we get into that, could you just tell us some about who you are and the work that you do?
2: Sure. So I'm uh, Evan Anderson. I've been the director of Grey Faction for about three years now. I have a background in psychology. I've I, both a bachelor's and a master's degree in psychology. Um, I've worked a little bit sort of in the social work field, including as a as an outreach worker for people with severe mental illness in the uh, Boston area. And around then was when I actually came across the Satanic Temple. I, I think I heard about or read about uh, the Pink Mass first. I think that was my first introduction to TST. But in any case, somehow or other, I learned about TST and started looking into uh, different areas uh, lectures and stuff and of course if you look into TST lectures it's only it's only so long before you come across uh, gray faction and th- some presentations that uh, Lucian and Sarah have have delivered in the past and right away I was like this is this is fascinating I can't believe this is going on and also a lot of the people that they talked about in these presentations who have been subjected to recovered memory therapy and basically had their lives destroyed. I saw in my own clients uh, with mental illness, a lot of similarities that these people that I, I, you know, sure it's a job, um, but uh, I also obviously cared about those people quite a lot. And uh, the idea of a basically careless or uh, sort of malpracticing therapist Using them for their own ends uh, to fulfill their own conspiracy theories really kind of hit home for me. So I I knew I had to get involved.
1: So what is it that that gray faction does? And, And well, maybe we should back up first and talk about the conspiracy theory of satanic ritual abuse and how that relates to the mental health field.
2: Yeah, so the idea of satanic ritual abuse uh, really... Took off in the 80s, uh, primarily in the United States, um, but it also spread to s- some other countries as well. The idea was that there was this widespread fear beginning in around 1980 that there were these sort of ubiquitous satanic cults abducting children and abusing them in these bizarre rituals, including cannibalism, blood drinking, infant sacrifice, animal sacrifice, all sorts of horrific stuff. And that, you know, basically these members of these satanic cults existed in every neighborhood. Around the country, and they were basically hiding in plain sight. Um, so they infiltrated every sort of institution in society: the police, the FBI, schools, daycares, everything. Um, and that's how they were getting away with their crimes. They were they were in positions of power so that they could cover it all up. Um, and that's the reason there was absolutely no evidence for any of this. Um, so there were, there were all these sort of court cases that sort of brought in these satanic ritual abuse elements uh, into the case uh and eventually kind of fell apart the kind of whole the whole panic as a whole fell apart once it was realized that there's not too much uh not any evidence really at all for satanic cults and it took quite some time for that to for that to come about and you know in the meantime there were people going on these talk shows claiming to have been uh victimized by uh satanic cults there were therapists going on claiming to have patients victimized by these satanic cults and uh not helping at all were these people going on claiming to be former high priests of the church of satan who yeah uh we did all these things by the way type of thing (laughs) so really there there was a lot going on but that's kind of the general overview of the satanic ritual abuse hysteria which is usually called the satanic panic
1: yeah and you know it devastated people's lives it was a multi it was an international thing you know it it went through england it went through canada you know and and i think what's so scary about the satanic panic looking back on it is the way in which it had institutional support right Absolutely. the way in which it got into government it got into These really venerable institutions Mm -hmm. and had the power of these institutions behind them, uh, behind it. And that that I think is what's scary about it. And now, but while it might not have that same degree of institutional power, satanic panic delusions. Have gone just went underground, right? They they went underground, and it's still being practiced. And I th- and I would actually be interested to hear your perspective on this. I think we're seeing something of a resurgence of satanic panic stuff, like with QAnon and so on. Um, maybe not with the same, maybe not with the same level of institutional power, mm-hmm. but we now have QAnon people in Congress. <laughs> you know, we now have QAnon people in the government. L- hone in some on the work. Of Gray Faction, and and also maybe maybe explain the relationship of Gray Faction to the Satanic Temple. You know, how does how does Gray Faction fit within the context of the Satanic Temple?
2: Sure. So uh, Gray Faction is a campaign of the Satanic Temple, and in some ways, it actually predates TST. So Lucian uh, had been doing a lot of this work you know dating back to like 2005 maybe even earlier uh he had started going to some of these mental health conferences where the satanic ritual abuse stuff was being talked about uh where you could buy a literal tinfoil hat and it and enjoyed and, and still enjoys some institutional approval, um, which which we can get into. But that's, you know, the the gray, fa- gray faction and its relationship to TST. Basically, we're dedicated to ending the ongoing satanic panic in the mental mm. health field. And there is this sort of resurgence now in a very uh, prominent way. The satanic panic never really ended. It just kind of went underground. So a lot of the people that were around for the satanic panic, who in many ways kind of were architects of it, whether intentionally or otherwise, didn't lose their licenses, didn't stop practicing, didn't even necessarily change their tune on a lot of this stuff. Uh, they kept promoting it at mm. their conferences, kept you know, having this, this network of colleagues uh, where they all kind of support each other in this stuff and continued to see patients uh, and continue to recover memories that support this uh, satanic panic hysteria.
0: Hmm.
1: So you just talked about um, recovered memory. And so let's, let's discuss the key components here of satanic panic, because there are some key practices that these clinicians use. And there are some key claims, pseudoscientific and conspiratorial claims that are really damaging. So talk some about... The central claims and practices of Satanic panic, I guess you could call I guess you could call it like a worldview or a methodology, Satanic panic methodology, Satanic panic, <laughs> conspiracy thinking or whatever it is, you know, N- name some of those key components and why they're so Yeah, delicate.
2: it's not just a therapy, it's a it's a lifestyle uh for for some of these people.
1: Yes, exactly. Yeah, it's yep. a religion. You know, I I was actually just and we'll get to this in a bit. You know, I was reading the leaked uh conversations from the ISSTD that you sent me and it sounds I was like, this sounds like a religion. This sounds like, and not all religion is bad. You know, we're religious, we're Satanists, but it, it sounds like a a dangerous religion. It sounds like a, a delusional religion.
2: Absolutely. Um, so the lifeblood of the satanic panic is a pseudoscientific form of therapy, uh, or really a, a category of therapy called recovered memory therapy. So the idea is, uh, if you're traumatized severely enough, and maybe bizarrely enough, or you know, and in a repeated fashion, your personality can sort of fracture and split into separate um, identities. Uh, And so there might be like a a host personality, um, but then there's all of these alters. And the idea is that these alters each hold separate traumatic memories, um, in this example of satanic ritual abuse. And in order to access those memories and learn what happened, which these practitioners believe to be sort of the, the key factor in helping these people is first figure out what happened to them. And, you know, in that way, you integrate all of the personalities by integrating the memories. Now, the idea that something traumatic can happen to you, and not only do you forget it, but you're actually consciously sort of suppressing or repressing memory of it is not something that, you know, enjoys widespread scientific Mm -hmm. validity. But the idea is that a therapist has to utilize hypnosis or other methods to access those mem- those repressed memories and figure out what happened to you. Now this is the lifeblood of the satanic panic because without it there wouldn't there wouldn't be a satanic panic at all. People will go into therapy with things that pretty much all of us experience at some point in our lives, depression, anxiety, that sort of thing. But a therapist might be if if they're what we call a conspiracy therapist they'll suspect that there's more to the story. There's more going on. You're not just struggling with uh, work and life things. You actually had a much more traumatic childhood than you remember. Mm. And the therapist has to utilize these methods to Uncover what happened to you and figure out what they think is the real story. So this is where the satanic ritual abuse stuff comes in. They basically hold this idea that the abuse was so bizarre, so severe that you can't consciously remember it because to remember it would be extremely debilitating. And in almost every case, this is... The only evidence of the sort of satanic ritual abuse stuff is the recovered memories. Now we know that recovered memories are false in in many cases, in probably all cases. There's there's some some question there about whether recovered memories can be can be legitimate or you know corroborated. And and so far there's there's not much of a reason to think that. But in any case, we know that you can recover false memories. People have recovered memories of alien abduction, or of living past lives, or of actually completely supernatural things like Jesus uh, literally appearing before them. Um, so we know that, uh, you know, recovering memories is a is a dangerous practice. And even if in some cases, you know, recovered memories could be based on real events. Um, and again, there's not there's not any evidence to suggest that that's the case. But even if it were, it remains it remains true that the practice of recovered memory therapy is extremely dangerous.
1: Mm. So to recap, there are several key components of what makes Satanic panic. And so I just listed them here in my notes. Um, rep- repressed memory. Uh, this idea that people can go through traumas so intense that they repress it. And I guess what's so weird and wrong about this is that actually the opposite tends to be true. Is it Like PTSD, with PTSD... It's the exact opposite. You keep reliving it. Am I wrong about that? Exactly. Like it. it makes no sense, and and there is no evidence to back this up, right? Right. And then the other component here is in order to, in order to, uh, surface those those memories of trauma, um they use hypnotic regressive therapy. Is that the correct term? Hypnotic regressive hypnotic therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, there's,
2: there's some different terms and there's some different okay. techniques also like guided imagery, dream interpretation, Right. sort of a uh, recovered memory therapy is sort of like a, like an ideology almost where you can utilize various forms of therapy. But if your goal is to recover memories, uh, then that's recovered memory therapy, but it can be sort of applied in various contexts. So not just uh hypnotherapy.
1: Mm. So then in addition to that, another key component is just claims of extravagant and bizarre and unverified abuse. Mm-hmm. And that's that's kind of one of the pillars here that I see through this and that I see in the modern ideations of this, like Pizzagate and QAnon, um, just Utterly outlandish and impossible claims of abuse, right? Uh, unverified mm-hmm. and and you know extraordinary claims,
2: right? And in some cases, claims that are just very easily debunked. Not only yes. the sort of common sense test where you're like, okay, uh, you know, this entire town of uh, you know a thousand people was was involved in this satanic cult, <laughs> um, where it just doesn't pass the common sense test. Yeah. Um, but also where there's Obvious uh, sort of facts that that dispute it. Um, so, for example, someone who claims that they were locked in the locked in a basement and subjected to a three month long satanic ritual, but that person was in school during mm. all of that.
1: So things like that. Things like that. And then and then the final component that I wrote down here is multiple personality. And so that's the, you know the idea that people suffer trauma so intense that it fractures them. And it fractures their personality as like a defense mechanism. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I guess what's kind of sinister about this is that there is horrific abuse. Right. And and people and, and you know, I think good and compassionate people have don't want to discredit abuse. You know, we don't want to. We don't want to discredit people's experience of abuse, and the reality is horrific abuse does happen. Absolutely, usually, usually within the the home. You know, usually, usually it is isn't outsider's the vast majority. Usually, it's within the home. You know, and people do experience horrific abuse, mm-hmm. um, and and that's why that's why I wonder if this conspiracy theory is so sticky because it it kind of preys on people's better angels. You know, we we want to hear people out. We want we don't want to discredit their pain and their trauma. And we want to believe victim. And that is, I think, why this is so malicious and maybe why it stuck around for so long.
2: Absolutely. Uh, it, you know, it, it it's a really test of how far are you willing to go to to believe people who claim to be victims of abuse? There's no doubt that abuse occurs. Horrific child abuse occurs. It's way too common. And we need to. Uh, to do a lot in that in that department, but when it comes to uh, you know recovering memories of abuse, basically the the primary way that people argue against what we do or try to denounce us is by saying that you know we're in denial of the extent of child abuse, that we just don't want to accept uh, how bad things really are. But it's nonsensical because the percentage of cases that involve recovered memories is so small; it's probably the very greatest, let's say it's 1%, let's just say that. I'm sure it's not, but let's say it's 1%. If we're in denial of the existence of child abuse, if that's our goal, what kind of denial is 99% acceptance? because we have no issue with the vast majority of cases that you know people claim to claim to be have been abused they always remembered it you know we have no nobody has any reason to to doubt that necessarily when people claim that okay but but okay. given what we know about recovered memories and false memories and the propensity for this to happen there is reason to be skeptical when these claims are based on recovered memories so yeah that's the only we're called uh you know deniers of of child abuse but the reality is that that makes little sense, and in a in a way, a lot of these a lot of these therapists are sort of sort of in in denial in in a sense because we often hear from people who had been abused as a child and always remembered it, never forgot it, never repressed it, nothing like that. But then they go to see a therapist, hmm. and the therapist is. And, and we're talking specifically about this subsection of therapists. We obviously have no problem with therapists in general, with mental health care in general, just to make that clear. But people who have been abused go and see a, what we call a conspiracy therapist. And oftentimes we see this over and over and over. It's not good enough for the therapist. They have to uh, yep. dig for more memories yep. They have to uh, sort of uh, uh, convince themselves and convince their patient that uh, the abuse was far more severe, far more bizarre, and with far more episodes and far more people than they remember. So in some sense, you know, you have people who are uh, truly victims of abuse who go into therapy and, uh, you know, end up with all of these uh, false memories of abuse, which kind of muddies the water, right? If someone has, mm. you know, 200, let's say, memories of, uh, of abuse that were, you know, recovered, it puts into question, like, anything else that they, anything else that they claim with mm. regards to abuse that, th- that happened during childhood. So it, they really muddy the waters, and, and in some sense, they're in denial of, of the child abuse that actually occurs, because oftentimes it just isn't good enough for them.
1: You know, I've had that experience. I, so if I may share some about my journey, I grew up in a charismatic, conservative Christian setting. And one of the things that they were really big on was quote unquote inner healing. And um, a lot of that involved having demons cast out of people, quote unquote. <laughs> you know, a lot of that involved um, repairing. Memory and and inviting the loving presence of Jesus into traumatic memories and mm-hmm. um all that kind of stuff. But uh, another component of this, what? Hold on, let me let the cat in because I just know that he will be banging on the door for this entire interview if I don't let him in. <laughs> um, so, um, one of the aspects of the inner healing thing was also repressed memory and i had that exact same experience uh where where it's like it was never good enough like you couldn't just you couldn't just have trauma right. you had to have the most extreme and extravagant kind of trauma and yeah it, it and then when i raised concerns about this to people to people who did this inner inner healing work, I was shouted down, right. and they said, "So you don't believe people? So you don't believe yeah. people don't get abused?" And I was like, "No, of, of course I do, you know." And mm-hmm. yeah, it, it, and you know that that was still when I was a Christian. That was years ago. I think that was like about ten years ago now, but it's always stuck with me. Of one of those kind of wake up moments that's always stayed with me Bef- uh, before we move on let's discuss some talk some about the science of memory and and how recovered memory works I mean we probably don't fully understand that but but what we know about memory because I think a lot of people misunderstand the nature of memory
2: yeah so uh, one of the most important things is that memory does not work like a like a videotape but uh, Recorder, right? Uh, it's not a movie that you can pop into a DVD player and playback uh, in a you know and see something identical every single time. Memory is a reconstruction. Uh, every single time that you remember something, it's going to be slightly changed or even uh, even massively changed. All of us have false memories. A great example, I think, is the Mandela effect. Yes, right. Uh, <laughs> it still messes me up sometimes. Uh, the Berenstein Bears thing.
1: I I remember speaking Speaking. Speaking of which, I remember Nelson Mandela dying. Mm-hmm. Like I'm one of those people who was who would have sworn that Nelson Mandela had died up until his funeral, <laughs> and then I was like, "Wait, I thought he was already fucking dead." Mm-hmm. Like ha- I was one of those people who, for some reason was 100% convinced that Nelson Mandela had died. Yeah,
2: it's very bizarre, uh, but it's very common. Uh, it is So we we have these false memories, um, and then we have these shared false memories, which is like, uh, I don't know, people talk about paralleled universes and stuff and, and whatever. And I'm sort of like, maybe there's something to that because so many people are on the same page. <laughs> um, but yeah, so yeah. false memories can and do happen to all of us. Uh, often, Oftentimes they're not very consequential, but sometimes they are. When it comes to trauma, the science shows that the more traumatic something is, the more we're going to remember it. And you mentioned earlier PTSD, and that's a great example. It's an inability to forget what happened to you. It's intrusive thoughts about, about what happened. You don't want to be thinking about what happened, but Here it is, all of a sudden, you see something or you smell something or whatever, and you're right back in the moment that that you were traumatized. They might wish that they could forget what happened to them, uh, but they can't. That's sort of the science of traumatic memory. Now, there's more with, like, something happens to you when you're extremely young and you're too young to even form memories. You know, that's not repressing a memory. That's, uh, you know, you're not probably... Even forming a memory in the first place. Or you're so young that you remember what happened, but you don't contextualize it or sort of categorize it in your mind um, as a traumatic event because you might have just been so confused about what was going on. So you remember some mm-hmm. strange things happening, but you're kind of like, you know, for a while, you're, you know, you don't, you don't know what it was. And then sometime you remember it and you're like, oh, wow, that was a, you know, sexual abuse or whatever, right? that's not a repressed memory either. It's just recontextualize something at, you know, with an accurate understanding of what happened. And people do actually forget traumatic memories. Uh, it's not extremely common, but people will go periods of time uh, where they don't remember that something happened to them. But then suddenly, all of a sudden, they get a reminder and oh yeah, I forgot about that horrible thing that happened mm-hmm. to me. That happens too. But that's not a repressed memory because it, it immediately surfaces, right? There's nothing it's a sort forgotten of, memory. Exactly. There's nothing sort of pushing <laughs> it down. Um, right. So when, when we talk about repressed memories and recovered memories, there's a lot of sort of conflation of all of these things. Um, and an additional thing is sort of uh, say something traumatic happens that involves hitting your head. Uh, you might never form the memory of what happened at all. Uh, that's a, that's extremely common, but oftentimes it gets conflated as a as a repressed memory. Or maybe you you know, you formed a memory and later on you hit your head and then you forgot what happened. Uh, that's not a repressed memory either. It's just, you know, a concussion that, you know, you lost the memory or whatever it happens all the time. So but the general idea is the more traumatic something is, the more persistent it is in, in your memory. You don't really forget it um, and you certainly don't repress
1: it. Mm. So let's um, name a, f- a few I, I am noticing this idea resurfacing in popular culture, and I, I started noticing this several years ago. Um, I started noticing it in Netflix movies like The Keepers. I, you know, I, my partner and I we love um, uh, we love true crime and horror and that kind of stuff. and uh, so we were watching The Keepers. And a major part of that is recovered memory. And and repressed memory, and then also the rise of Teal Swan and the Teal the the um the I forget the name of her cult, but the the Teal Club, the Teal is the Teal something, yeah, the Teal Clan, I is that the Teal it is? The I, I I forget, <laughs> uh I I forget I forget the name of it, but you know Teal Swan rose to prominence by claiming that she had been horrifically sexually abused by uh by Satanists in Utah. And a really popular podcast that I listened to also started talking about repressed therapy, repressed memories, and and that kind of stuff. And and so there, it's it's like in the zeitgeist. And maybe this is an maybe this is a a sampling fallacy. Like maybe I'm I'm seeing it because I'm it's in my psyche and I'm looking for it. Maybe it was always there. Uh, so this is very anecdotal, of course. But I'm noticing it. I'm noticing it in our culture. So. There was re. What do you think of that? By the way, do you think that's true? Do you think it was always there, or is it is it more prominent now? Like it's it might be hard to get a, a sense of that.
2: It is hard to say because yeah. once you learn about this stuff, you kind of see it everywhere. Exactly. And like it couldn't it couldn't have all of a sudden just started popping up yeah. once I you know started reading about it. But uh, you know it it makes for a very popular, a very appealing plot device so there have been movies yeah exactly it's it's spooky it's very mysterious it's you know sort of esoteric in that like you know you need this therapist to come in and and you know it's like sort of the unlikely hero that's gonna you know figure everything out it yeah it's a very popular plot device and you know I've even watched movies and shows where uh, that's an important aspect of it and I I just kind of like hold my nose, I guess, a little bit over it. Um, like Mr. Robot was, I, I think, a great show, uh, but um, involves, uh, you know, repressed memory stuff. I, I don't know if it's more common now than it was. I don't have any real sense of that. But yeah, it's a very popular plot device, and I'm not surprised at all that it's, uh, that it's still, you know, kind of consistently used, and even in these sort of true crime uh, podcasts and, and shows and stuff. Uh, you know I, I suspect it is more common than it used to be but I, again I don't really have any data to back that up
1: I would be interested to hear back from my listeners on this actually like have you have you encountered instances in pop culture films documentaries, television podcasts etc cetera, etc cetera, where repressed memory, the concept of that is is surfacing. I would actually be really interested in hearing back from my audience about that. You can post it on the website, com, or you can um, share that in my Discord server. Like, I'd actually be really, really interested to hear that. So let's pivot now to this recent leak that happened with ISSTD, which sounds like a really complicated sexually transmitted disease, I have to say. <laughs>
2: It kind of is, <laughs>
1: <laughs> like a a very complicated, longer than usual STD. So first, what is yeah. what is the ISSTD? Why do we care?
2: Yeah, um, so the ISSTD was founded sort of at the height of the Satanic Panic. Uh, I believe it was in 1984. It was founded as the International Society for the Study of Multiple Personality and Dissociation, I believe, and it, it was founded by you know largely people who were promoting the satanic panic hysteria in one way or another. Um, it's this mental health organization largely founded by psychiatrists and, and some others. Uh, and they you know have had, ever since they are founded, um, an annual conference uh, where they deliver presentations and uh, talk about all this stuff. Throughout the years, they've kind of been consistently the sort of center of the ongoing satanic panic in mental health unfortunately they provide not only do they provide a platform for people talking about satanic ritual abuse recovered memories and all that stuff this is sort of the center for it this is this is where you go if you're a therapist interested in this stuff right
1: yeah it's the think tank for ritual abuse bullshit
2: exactly um and they even have a special interest group they, they have several special interest groups but they have one um that was called ritual abuse mind control and organized abuse special interest group uh, which mm. they recently renamed as a sort of uh sort of whitewashing of uh you know the conspiratorial terms uh they now call it the organized and extreme abuse special interest group and uh it's their largest and most active special interest group that's as they admit in a letter uh, that we can talk about but and and this is where the sort of uh, uh most prominent of the conspiracy theorists or conspiracy therapists kind of hang out and share their ideas. Yeah. Yeah. So the ISSTD every year, um, so it's now known as the International Society for the Study of Trauma and Dissociation. Every year still, they they have an annual conference and uh, we've been to some of these presentations so we know what goes on inside. They're promoting satanic ritual abuse. They're promoting hypnotherapy. They're promoting Illuminati mind control, ongoing CIA, MKUltra experimentation, um, all of that stuff. And not only are they doing it at a ostensibly legitimate mental health conference, um, but they're enjoying uh, uh, continuing education credits for uh, these presentations. So just background on that. uh, If you're a a licensed professional in in all sorts Mm -hmm. of different professions, um, every couple years or so, you have to renew your license. And conditional on that renewal, you have to complete a certain number of continuing education credits. Basically, it's a way to to show that you're keeping up to date with what's going on in the field. You're attending presentations or even delivering presentations, you can get credits for that. And so, uh, you know, organizations like the American Psychological Association kind of, uh, in, a, in a sort of removed way, oversee these, these uh, presentations to make sure that they're like legitimate and scientific and not, you know, kind of kooky. But of course, when we're talking about the ISSTD, they are, but they still enjoy uh, continuing education accreditation from the American Psychological Association. Um, so that is an example of the sort of institutional approval uh, that that persists uh, when it comes to the satanic panic.
1: So I have the letter, the internal letter uh, for ISSTD right here, and um, go ahead and talk about this letter and uh, and what this reveals.
2: Sure. So this leak was uh, basically a, a bunch of posts within a discussion, basically a forum inside the ISSTD where members, uh, you know, can discuss uh, various things. And of course, it was just filled with threads promoting the most bizarre conspiracy theories that we know they believe because we've seen what these people have written before. We've seen what they talk about at these conferences it, and everything.
1: It was it was wild and i yeah. i i just have to like interject and say it was fucking wild reading this shit because and and reading those threads because i consider myself pretty well versed in conspiracy theory and and i feel like pretty immune to crazy and even i was like this is fucking crazy this yeah. is nuts you know so yeah go on it it's it impressive. is truly it is truly, genuinely insane, and in the fact that they get public recognition from from "quote unquote" valid institutions is all the more terrifying. So, Absolutely. anyway, go on.
2: Um, so yeah, we we leaked these uh, these messages. Uh, anybody interested in? in uh reading into the crazy can find uh these documents that we have that are publicly available um if you if you find a press release about this uh which came out uh december 14th you can find links to the documents and everything
0: and
1: i will i will link that press release in the show notes so awesome so in for this episode uh if you just look in the show notes whatever player you are on, I will post a link uh, near the top of the show notes and you can read the press release. And in that press release will be the link to the Dropbox where uh, all of these leaks are.
2: Perfect. In addition to all of the just abject insanity at in these threads, the kind of big story was that the ISSCD board of directors sent a letter to the special interest group formerly known as the Ritual Abuse, Mind Control, Organized Abuse Special Interest Group, basically saying they made the unilateral decision to change the group's name. And the reason that they did this, or the primary reason, was that they're facing additional restrictions on court uh, presentations that will be approved for continuing education credit. So it, it appears they were informed by their continuing education sponsor, uh, who is uh, basically a middleman between the ISSTD and sort of the, the American Psychological Association, the Association of Social Work Boards, basically these these sort of institutions that oversee these various professions are sort of the end authority on continuing education credit. So the middleman has to kind of answer to them about course content. Basically the the middleman here in in this case is CE Learning. Um, So that's called the, they're the continuing education sponsor. They basically instituted this rule where they let the ISSCD know they're not approving any presentations about mind control anymore. Um, so for whatever reason they picked mind control and not also ritual abuse, but basically to sort of maybe cover their tracks a little bit, the ISSTD decided to change the special interest group name to you know remove the reference to mind control. And also, you know, they informed uh, all the ISSTD members that uh, they could no longer deliver presentations uh, about mind control. However, the letter makes it very clear that this is sort of just a, a shift in the facade that they're uh, making it appear that they're abandoning these bizarre conspiracy theories but if you you know look at the, the you know they're, they're very clear that the discussions on the forum aren't going to change they're not going to be told to alter their uh, presentations at all to remove references to mind control for example and in even one case in one thread uh, someone preparing for the 2021 conference admits to removing the term mind control from their presentation title and and, and description but that you know they're not going to remove references to mind co- mind control from the presentation itself uh, which their continuing education, sponsor probably has no no idea about them doing Um, so this sort of dishonesty of them sort of uh, uh, shifting terms a little bit and kind of covering their tracks to make them appear legitimate is is not new at all they've they've done it kind of on on several occasions but we kind of have caught them red-handed in doing it this time
1: so there is one particular line in this internal letter that I found particularly interesting It reads, the ISSTD is working towards becoming a CE accredited provider with APA and ASWB so that we will have more autonomy and control over the approval sessions for CE credit of our events. That's basically a very boring way of saying we're doing this to try to, to, to gain more autonomy and power so that we can keep doing the bullshit that we're doing. Like, is that basically what they're saying in that line?
2: Absolutely. Yeah, they're, they're okay. saying that they're getting rid of the middleman. They're, they're getting rid of their yeah. continuing education sponsor as soon as they obtain their own continuing education sponsorship approval from APA, ASWB and uh, anyone else. Now, they actually already have ASWB approval. I don't know when they obtained it, but I recently looked it up and they sometimes Time since uh that letter and, and a few days ago they've t- obtained approval uh from aswb so uh you know our right. our task now is to prevent them from becoming a continuing education sponsor with with apa and
1: then once they do that they can basically do whatever the fuck they want
2: yes with the i mean within
1: reason within reason yes. like with limits um
2: however it it, it doesn't necessarily it, it might not necessarily be a good thing for them. Okay. Um, it could be in the short term, but you know, as long as uh, we're able to attend these conferences and can let the APA know what's being talked about inside of it. Um, not only is, are these things being talked about at ISSCD conferences, but the continuing education, sort of the responsibility for the presentations and and reaching continuing education approval is also in the ISSCD's hands now if, if they obtain that approval. Um, so that's kind of a, a double whammy. A little bit, where in the short term, it's great for them to have that autonomy over their own presentations and what qualifies for credit. But longer term, it's probably not going to last.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. So how does mind control fit into this? (laughs) Like, that's one thing we haven't covered yet. Like, you know, memory, recovered memory, multiple personality, claims of bizarre abuse, repressed memory therapy. We've covered all that. How the fuck does mind control fit into this?
2: Yeah, it's all sort of unified in uh in in what's called the Green Bomb speech. So, Lucian knows much more about this um than than I do. I have read the speech um but I I don't recall, you know, it was some years ago.
1: How can how can we find how can we find the speech? Is there a way I can link to it in the show notes? There's
2: a YouTube video that we have on our on our okay. YouTube channel, Gray Factions YouTube channel, um which goes over this. I don't remember if that Goes over the speech in full, but also I, I think you could just Google it and it and it comes up. I think there's okay. like archived copies in various places. But this was a speech delivered by I, I believe he was a psychiatrist named D. Corydon Hammond, um, who basically you know the gist of it is that there's this uh, there was this Jewish Nazi doctor who came over from Germany.
1: Pause. <laughs> yeah. Wait, a Jewish. Nazi doctor. Yeah,
2: um, I, I don't know. Uh you know, <laughs> okay. they love I I yeah, there's just all no explanation right. that came over and, and I guess uh <laughs> shared his his techniques for you know creating mind control victims. Basically the idea is is that these groups, so the Satanists, the CIA, the Illuminati, the Freemasons, which oftentimes for a lot of these people, they're all the same people. they Kind of all have their own little spin on the conspiracy theory, or you know who the perpetrators supposedly are. But it involves you know all these various uh, u- the usual uh, perpetrators when it comes to conspiracy mm. theories that these groups use torture-based mind control. So not only are you know these strange rituals being done, the purpose of these rituals is to what they call program people into for use later on. It's like a Manchurian candidate kind of thing. They brainwash people uh into becoming uh sort of their own automatons, right? Where uh they the sort of Illuminati or whatever can call on them later on to go and do their do their dirty work. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, assassinate people or whatever the, you know, the Illuminati uh needs, I guess. But you know, the, this idea that with the torture comes the programming, you can trigger the programming with a certain word or something like that. And uh, the person just becomes mm. this sort of hypnotized robot ready to do whatever you want them to do. It could be recruit more victims. It could be, you know, commit some, uh, you know, political uh, sort of murders or something like that. That's really the idea. Uh, so it's this like kind of grand, sort of unified conspiracy theory that. Pulls together the satanic ritual abuse, the CIA, MKUltra, mind control, all of this stuff. And of course, it goes back to, uh, back to the Illuminati.
1: So the reason, one of the reasons why this is so dangerous is, you know, let's just say I find myself having a difficult year. I go through a breakup. I'm depressed, overworked at my job, what have you. And uh, I decide to go get some therapy. I look up a therapist online, I book that therapist, I go into their office and start having therapy with them, and I would have no way of knowing whether that therapist believed this stuff or not and would end up pushing it on me. right? And so you could end up leaving your therapy sessions with a head just full of... Delusion and and very confused and very conflicted because you go in, you know, needing help, resolving whatever is going on in your life or talking through stuff or, you know, whatever, but you leave with like these deeper, darker secrets, like oh, there was a- there's actually something more. It's actually there's actually something darker. There's something deeper, and that's what actually needs to be resolved. And that is incredibly destructive to people. Like that that can destroy lives.
2: Absolutely, it, it does, and it has destroyed lives. Yeah, we hear from people all the time mm. who, who this has happened to, um, and, and the basic pattern is, yeah, like you said, you you know you're someone who for whatever reason are looking into getting a therapist, and you might do a little bit of searching on Psychology Today, for example, to see who's near you, who's available, who takes your insurance, that sort of thing. They don't advertise that they're like proponents of satanic ritual abuse necessarily. There are certain keywords that some of them use that that are sort of red flags. And we have a how to find a therapist page on our website also that can help people uh, look out for some of these signs. But yeah, you, you won't necessarily know until you're until you're there. And if you don't know what to listen for, um, if you don't know that they're, you know, digging around for hmm. memories of what happened to you, or or you don't know that that's dangerous for them to do, then then you could easily fall for this. And yeah, we hear from people all the time who, who go in for these normal sort of human uh, symptoms of mental illness that, that all of us experience at some time or another. And they end up believing their childhood was far more horrible than it was. And they end up completely isolated from from their family oftentimes from their friends as well they often end up completely dependent on their therapist for everything they mentally deteriorate in a horrible fashion they often become suicidal and they often lose a ton of money people's insurance will stop covering these sessions or uh, the therapist doesn't accept insurance so you're privately paying and you go up to you know two hour long therapy sessions a week plus group therapy and whatever else um it's horrific to see what happens to a lot of these people. They, you know, go in looking for help with a simple thing and they end up far, far worse than they were before.
1: Yep, And, um, you know, I've, I've watched this happen in the Christian setting and I've, I've watched people develop that kind of unhealthy dependency on their quote unquote therapist. And I've watched, I, yeah. And, and it, it's really, really sad and uh, really destructive. You know, I, I had a friend who went through this back when I was in college, and she she started to believe that she was just way more messed up than she actually was. She told me that she had multiple personalities. She would, quote-unquote, hear different voices in her head telling her to do different things. And I, I, I pushed... Well, I didn't push back, but I asked her to clarify, like, oh, what do you mean by that? And what she said was, uh, I was like, so do you hear them audibly? And she said, no, they're internal. And I was like, okay, well, can you tell me more about that? And she said, well, this they just you know, I just have like this running verbal narrative in my head. And I that's all, you know, I just have this running verbal narrative. I hear words, you know, and internally thinking about different things, different you know desires, different, so on and so forth. And I was like, that's just being a human. That's just being a person. That's just an internal dialogue. and and the more she talked, the more I realized this really wasn't anything pathological. This really wasn't any, I was like, I hear voices all the time. They tell me to eat an entire fucking pizza when I shouldn't. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like, welcome to the human condition. Just like in, internal dialogue. Yeah. And but but you know what had happened was the person she was working with had taken normal human experiences and pathologized them, and. And encouraged her to reframe these diff just the internal dialogue that she had as evidence of extreme family abuse. And that's that's when I just turned on this shit really hard. That's when I feel like my eyes were really opened and and she she experienced relief. When I talked to her about this, she was like, you mean I'm not crazy? And I'm like, no, you're just human. Mm, yeah. You're just human. I have that. We all have that to varying degrees. That's normal. Uh, but, you know, that and and I had my own experience with this because I went through ex-gay therapy, which is a whole other conversation that we don't need to get into right now. But, you know, in ex-gay therapy, people, the, the narrative was you are gay because you were sexually abused. Yeah. Usually by someone close. Right. And it's like I was told that so many times that I started to believe it. And it estranged me from my family. Mm -hmm. It estranged me. And it never happened. And it destroyed so many of my relationships. So this stuff really, really is Mm -hmm. evil. It really is very, very destructive. And um, ruins lives.
2: Absolutely. And the the tendency to see these people in positions of authority really knowing what they're talking about knowing what they're doing and and having your best interests in mind is sort of the default right we want to believe people licensed by the state are providing good therapy and know what they're talking about even Mm -hmm. if we're kind of like in the session we're kind of like hmm i don't that's kind of weird to me but okay i'll go along with it Mm -hmm. you know the the sort of white coat sort of phenomenon where these are the experts right who am i to question the experts Well, when you realize that sometimes they do not have your best interest in mind, sometimes they, even if they think they're doing the right thing, sometimes they're not. When you realize that, that kind of, uh, you know, sort of a, a light bulb goes off. There's a lot of bad therapy out there. And unfortunately, these sort of institutions that are supposed to be policing this sort of thing, like the state licensing boards, aren't doing it. They aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing. They're not protecting the public. They're protecting their licensees. And this is made all the worse by the fact that there is a severe mental health shortage of of therapists. There are people who cannot go and don't even have a therapist available that takes their insurance or whatever. There are people who can't afford it. There are just therapists that can't take on new clients, good therapists that, that can't take on new clients. It's really a tragedy. And if you do find a therapist... Even if you do take the step to look up their license online, which you can do in any state, you can look up and see uh, if they've had a disciplinary action taken against them by the licensing board. Even if you do take that sort of extra step, which probably almost nobody does, it doesn't mean that they haven't done anything wrong. Just because there's nothing there. Plenty of these therapists that we're talking about have never been disciplined, have never been investigated, maybe even have never even had a complaint filed against them. Mm. Because again, we're talking about people in positions of authority over, uh, you know, vulnerable mental health uh, patients and clients who believe that, you know, their therapist has their their best interests in mind, when unfortunately, sometimes they don't. Mm. Um, It's really a tragedy all around.
1: Yeah, it really is. And For people who are interested in finding the work of Grey Faction and maybe reaching out if they have any experiences, or if they're interested in learning more, where can they do that?
2: Absolutely. So our website is grayfaction.org. Uh, there's a contact us form that actually goes straight to straight to my email. Um, so I will absolutely see it. Uh, I read every email that we get, even if it's hate mail. <laughs> uh, so uh, yeah, feel free to contact me that way. Absolutely. If you've if you've experienced something like this, please feel free to share in confidence. I'm not going to go and post your email in public or anything like that. Um, We are contacted by lots and lots of people all the time. And we, we rarely actually, you know, share their story, but we are always interested in hearing from people. We want to learn more uh, about what's going on, about how to stop it. And uh, yeah, so feel free to get in touch.
1: Very good. Well, this has been a great conversation and uh, maybe we can do this again sometime.
2: Absolutely. I would love to. Thanks for having me on.
1: My pleasure. Well, that is it for this show. The music is by The Jelly Rocks and 117. You can find them on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to music. The artwork is by Ramakrishna Das, and this show is written, produced, and edited by me, Stephen Bradford Long. And as always, Hail Satan, and thanks for listening.
0: we Break down, bring new Christmas seeds back to Halloween time